Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of homeownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. Dwayne Romero has over two decades of real estate development, management, and investment experience specializing in mountain resort communities. He's a graduate of the prestigious United States Military Academy at West Point. Dwayne served in the Army Corps of Engineers, including a distinguished leadership role in combat during the Persian Gulf War. Dwayne went on to graduate from several U.S. Army leadership schools, including the U.S. Army Ranger School, and earned an MBA from Harvard Business School. He is the former president of Related Colorado, an operating division of the global property development behemoth Related Companies. Dwayne is now the CEO of Romero Group, a full-service real estate management investment company with substantial organizational depth and experience here in the Roaring Fork Valley. When he's not at work, he served as a two-term Aspen City Councilman and is currently on the local school board and has been involved with several nonprofits and economic development commissions. It is my pleasure to welcome Dwayne Romero to the show. Thanks, Christian. Glad to be here. Dwayne, that's an illustrious background uh, and not one I typically hear living in the mountains coming from uh, a military background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your time in the military and attending West Point and then how you transitioned to Aspen? You know, it got into West Point, frankly, <laughs> not on good looks, as you well know, this is a radio show, uh, but also not on uh, pure academics. I was a baseball player down in South Texas and got the fortunate uh, opportunity to, to meet up with the baseball coach there at West Point. So I got into to West Point, and frankly, got introduced to cold weather and the first experience with snow and I cried a lot of crocodile tears to get back home, but uh, managed to stick it through and get there. And then had the fortune to be assigned over in Germany for uh, the U.S. Army. It was a Corps of Engineer officer. Great experience for you know some bumpkin from South Texas to be able to to live and operate uh, there. And um, you know in Germany, uh, had a great experience there saw a lot we did a ton of work together with the, the german military and had a pretty good mission it was still during the cold war and then frankly went to the, you know we got called into the first gulf war there desert shield desert storm and spent a great amount of time in southern iraq there after um, the ceasefire and you know, good fortune kind of continues to come along and I was able to come back to the States and had some good experiences uh, on a follow on assignment at Fort Carson right here in Colorado. And I failed to mention too, Christian, that I met Margaret, my wife, who you know, 
she is a school teacher here locally, but we met in Germany back in 88. And so I really do look back at those times very, very fondly. A lot of good luck and a lot of just good experience and good opportunity. Um, we were able to turn it and get uh, back to the States and I ended up leaving the military after my Fort Carson assignment, wanting to do some more entrepreneurial things. And so I sought out and got accepted to Harvard Business School. And from there, I uh, was recruited by another large real estate development outfit by the name of Heinz. You know, Jerry Heinz obviously had great partnerships with um, the ski company and the Crown family. So I was able to come from business school out straight to Aspen, never been here before. And again, just real solid luck, right place, right time. And we came thinking it would be like, probably like a lot of folks, you know, it would be a fun assignment. It would be a good tour of duty. It'd be something like three years and we'd kind of roll on. Well, what is it now? 25 years later, we, we've stuck it out. You know, Christian, I think the one common thread there is, you know, just being blessed and having some good fortune and having good luck and, and which is, you know, maybe another way of saying it, like I said, being prepared at the right time. Something that, frankly, you know, you want to share with your fellow workmates and your friends, you know, always being prepared at the right time, probably most of the time will yield a, a good result. So... That's kind of how we got here and, and we're blessed and we're we raising the three daughters here in the valley. They've all born and raised in Aspen. My oldest is away at, in college and the other two are high school students. And as I said earlier, Margaret, my lovely bride now of almost 30 years, is um, a veterans you know, teacher. She's an elementary and kindergarten teacher up at the Aspen Community School. So... Totally blessed. No, that's an amazing story on how you got here. And it's interesting, you, you know, you hadn't been to Colorado, you maybe an aversion to cold weather growing up in Texas. And then you end up living in Aspen in the mountains uh, where it snows six months of the year uh, or it can snow six months. Yep. Of the year, but. And I love it. I love it. We get to catch up. Yeah, I've got years, you know, I've, you know, those 18 solid growing up years down in South Texas kind of put me behind the eight bombs in a lot of things, including, uh, you know, dealing with the snow, but it's, it's great though. Now we, we absolutely love the lifestyle. What's not to love here, right? There's plenty of um, opportunity, not just for recreation, but for career and for, um, you know, doing things together on an entrepreneurial platform and enjoying it. And then also, you know, building the quality of life for your kids. I mean, that's really what it's all about. What would you say from your military background, you know, that what, what's a lesson you learned from your time in the military that you apply today to how you work and operate your company? That's a great question. And what most readily comes to mind is the, the role modeling and the, and the kind of the, the willingness to do that, which you ask others to do and, be willing to demonstrate role model, uh, be a participant. I think uh, leadership, you know, a lot of people have a, a vision and view of leadership as someone out in the front. 
and then others prefer to kind of lead from the rear and you would like to think that you know you can perform in both settings and so trying to role model support and empathy and care is equally important as it is to role model courage and candor and conviction so you know the, the notion of being willing to be out there and to show that experience and to demonstrate and be able to make mistakes and be human i think that really that taps into motivation right public service is uh, a theme throughout your career and you know whether it's serving on boards or, or elected positions and uh, at one point i was looking back through your your history and you served under then governor john hickenlooper as the director of the colorado office of economic development and international trade tell me a little bit about what that was like leaving the private sector behind and focusing on a state level initiative to grow the economy of the state coming out of the recession having that opportunity to be the economic development director for Hickenlooper and and Governor Hickenlooper came out of the gate with his campaign, interestingly saying that his economic development plans and policies and proposals were to be essentially grounded in a bottom-up listening tour, which was great during the campaign, but then it meant upon election that the listening tour had to launch and you quickly needed to assemble and and process and then you know if you will generate a, a master economic recovery plan and that's what we produced was the Colorado blueprint and that first version of the Colorado blueprint was the the result of I spent about six months on the road visiting communities across the state and I did 23,000 miles of driving in those six months and I did four loops through the state and we held 102 public meetings with everything from the, you know the, the Denver downtown chamber out to and including the the Lyman uh, Chamber of Commerce out in the eastern Colorado Plains and everything in between to try to bring together a, a very comprehensive plan and I got to tell you you know this well, our state is not singular in its dependence on one particular industry. We are rather diverse, huge diversity. If you think about the farming and the ranching and the, the defense and the, and the technology, and you think about the oil and the gas, and then you think about resort tourism and recreation, we are a wildly diverse state. And so Producing that plan was the most one of the most exciting opportunities, but it was like I said, it was a roller coaster and it was quite exhausting. And as you know, Governor Hickenlooper, now Senator Hickenlooper, and he's kind of a refreshing, different dude. And I say that with you know, a lot of respect and positive enthusiasm. He is he's got a different style about him, and he is able to connect at a very very wholesome and just comfortable level. And he likes beer. It ain't so bad either. <laughs> no, that's a that's a really great background, and clearly that paved a way for you to sort of you know get out of out of the Aspen bubble, if you will, and across the state. And I think that's really interesting how 
you know, you really nailed it in terms of how diverse these states are, right? And I think oftentimes, you know, this, the subject of this podcast is selling the mountains, but the reality is, you know, we are in these small mountain towns and we, I think we do tend to get into our silos and our bubbles of thinking that the whole world revolves around travel and tourism and ski and rec and real estate and all those things. And we sometimes forget about how diverse um, the interest could be outside of our ski towns uh, and, and not that far proximity, really. One of the things you said, too, doing that really interests me is, um, you know, that you talked about the long tail of the recession, you know, and coming out of 08, 09, you know, the, the Roaring Fork Valley here in Aspen. And I think this parlays into our later conversation about where the market is now. But it took a long time for these mountain towns to recover and get back to real estate valuations pre-recession. It took you know eight to ten years, and in that in that process, you were highly involved, obviously, with related Colorado and the development in snowmass that eventually wasn't able to come to fruition because of those market forces. And uh, you know, you want to talk about that a little bit and just help us understand what that was like leading up to um, you know where we are now. No, thank you. That is another great point, and. As some of my friends like to say, it's like yet you know, one of my other failures uh, <laughs> that we uh, struggled through. The the experience in Snowmass, you know, I, I use the word failure, but it's really more of an experience. And sometimes failure is the best place to learn. You are right that that long extended recession clearly started with or, with a lot of macro forces, but locally here, it was pretty swift and severe. Related companies obviously had, had over-levered their positions and their acquisitions of the various parts and pieces of Snowmass Village that they assembled. And from there, I would say that <laughs> picked up a PhD in foreclosure law and defaults and bankruptcy protections and all of that. So we went through just an exhaustive amount of effort just trying to unwind all of those um, positions, all of those financial positions, debt positions that had obviously had been crushed by the, by the recession and the inability to kind of keep payments afloat and stay you know, on good standing. So I learned a lot there and that was very, very difficult. And probably the largest lesson learned would be, be careful if you have so much real estate aggregated into one central set of hands. And that's not necessarily a, a dig on any developer. It's, it's simply a recognition that when you have that amount of concentrated interest and ownership, and if the music stops at a you know at the economy level and the macro level, then it can be very very painful and swift of, of how dark it can get. And I look back and I think about some of the decisions made here and there on our side, on the related side of, of, of some of the starts and stops. It can make you really stop in your tracks if we had base village open and under construction and also the snowmass center under construction and also the snowmass mall under construction 
and with the recession coming around, that could have been catastrophic for Snowmass Village as a resort community and a, and a tourist destination. Catastrophic, but luckily that did not occur. And so I guess the, the final comment I would say is this, we're able to put things back together, obviously settle up some of the debts, get through and then reacquire, but clearly it became very obvious that Related wasn't the appropriate owner of the base village and any of the other Snowmass Village assets. It was time for them to move and they did, they moved on. And I think the moral or if you will, the kind of the happy ending, the, the happy ending is that base village, which is clearly tied to the, to the soul of the town, but is also essential to the micro economy there it's in the it's in the hands where it should be, you know, with the ski company and their talents and their breadth and their depth, together with the a mountain experienced developer in the form of East West Partners and and their money partner, their financial partner of KSL. Those are collectively those are folks that have earned their stripes, developing and operating in the mountains, which from, like I said, from a community perspective, that's a really good set of partners to be working with. Somebody that knows and understands who you are, understands the, the vibe, understands the kind of the ethos and some of the culture and, and just the collective, how things are achieved and what's important and what's not important. So all of that happy ending and there's, it is showing now, you, you see it clearly. So that's, a little long-winded there, but hopefully that uh, helps to kind of put some, you know, put a perspective on it. No, that's incredible context and clearly huge lessons learned and a case study really for many a mountain community. Honestly, I mean, there is, I highly doubt there's any mountain community out there that hasn't seen a major real estate development project go upside down um, at some point in time. You know, there's boom and bust cycles and People get over leveraged and it's a tale you've seen, I've seen unfold in many towns. And this is certainly one of the bigger ones that was more visible certainly uh, here in the county, but it is a lesson for other mountain towns as they endeavor to recreate their base experience or endeavor to put together a new um, de major development um, that you see a lot happening now. And now with the economy the way it is and, and mountain real estate happening with the high demand, you're gonna, we're gonna see more of these things uh, being proposed and coming online and more opportunities there. But it will be interesting to see who, who does this successfully and who learns the lessons and who is able to deliver and execute. Extremely well said, completely agree. Everyone's had a little base village experience in their own little mountain town. As I said before, the, the partnering is, is, is very crucial, very important. Having partners that kind of understand who you are and know your strengths and weaknesses and can help to optimize the strengths and minimize the negatives. Absolutely. So in 2015, you left Related Colorado and you went on to start the Romero Group. Tell me a little bit about how you made the leap from working in a corporate real estate development world to an entrepreneurial type endeavor, starting your own company and leading up to today. March 15, 2015, the best day in, in my uh, professional career, maybe not in my entire life, but the best day in my career was the day that I got fired from Related. And I say that with 
respect and and admiration for the company as well as the folks that we were working with here in the in the community you know sometimes those things have to happen in order for you to find the next chapter in your life and so that's exactly what happened for us so i think the one key word that i would hang on to when i talk about that time is the power of teams and the power of getting things done as a group, as an organization. For us, it was almost a natural evolution step to say, well, we were doing this together for many years, this being a collection of operating and managing and developing and controlling and accounting and reporting, all of those functions that one tends to do in the, the greater real estate industry and we had a lot of local market knowledge and experience. And it felt like the team just naturally kind of falls into its own positions on the field. And so I look back at that time and, and I don't, there was no bright and shiny moment or in the middle of the night or some sort of aha. It was somewhat, like I said, natural and an easy flow, a set of short conversations amongst friends and fellow workmates. And within a matter of a few months, we had our, our rough business plan sketched out and within a couple of quarters. So we were able to get a bit of a head start by acquiring a local existing property management firm, Beach Resource Management, Gary Beach owner and proprietor, great guy. He's now retired. He had been operating for a good 25 to 30 years as beach resource management and somewhat under the radar, but by acquiring his platform, it gave us a bit of a, like I said, a bit of a head start and a launch pad to get into current operations, existing operations, existing revenues, client base, and then to build from there. And so today, Christian, what is that? So it's uh, a little over five years later, we've taken that platform and we have, it's now 6X in its size and scale in terms of revenues and about 8X in, its, in the scale of, um, of uh, the employee group, the team, the broader team. It's a pretty interesting, fairly diversified team. And we own it together. So you know, my workmates are my partners. There's there's three other former related members. They're also partners in this firm. And we all have a set of functional skills and, and talents and experience that in combination, you know, I'll, I'll humbly state it, I think we got a, a pretty good coverage plan, but you know, we're we're pretty good at making mistakes before 9 a.m. So we <laughs> each day. So, you know, one of the one of the hallmarks and messages that we try to live by is, you know, be, be the first to own your mistake, rush to the, you know, rush to the mistake itself, grab it, own it, share it, and then describe how you're going to fix it. And if you can continue to do that while you're also focusing on your, you know, your day-to-day -day functions, you're probably going to be pretty good as compared to the competition. And then we say, you know, 
hit the repeat button, hit the return button a couple thousand times a month and, and you're well on your way. So that's how it came together in terms of just the timeline and some of the key thinking that the team held at the time. You know, what I'm just curious, and maybe the listeners are too, like, you know, which which of those line or which of those business entities is driving the ship? Are others growing or what's your strategy going forward? Uh, the, the core uh, asset management and property management division, that is clearly the revenue foundation from which we can lever and participate in some of the other functional lines that I just described. So that is the base. It also serves as a bit of a organic growth and prospecting platform by the fact that, again, as I said before, you know, you, you make mistakes and you live and die by how well you respond to those mistakes and, and correct those mistakes and own them. So, you know, we focus on that as a means to develop a bit of a, a good referral base, recommendations and word of mouth. So to help to kind of grow, not only in the additional communities world, but also grow in terms of access towards other real estate listings, both selling and buying, and also small projects here and there. And then occasionally, as I said before, there becomes some investment and or development opportunities that that yield from from all of that base work but it does start with the ongoing real estate management through the asset and property management group as our base from which we can stretch so with 2020 being widely reported as you know a record year for real estate transactions happening across most if not all mountain towns was that also the case for the Romero Group? I would say that the word nimbleness and being able to respond and think on your feet is the, the, the label for the day for us in the year 2020. We didn't pick up that many additional associations. So that new, you know, the new pipeline definitely slowed. And a lot of the capital projects that many of our communities that we help they decided to defer and or outright cancel. So there was definitely a reduction of work there. But then, interestingly, there's these new opportunities of acquisition and new opportunities of real estate sales. And I think about the construction management, we, we, we repurposed some of our folks to you know, move from being you know, kind of technical agents, water engineers, or um, irrigation specialists and we you know, repurpose them into, you know, building repairs and building uh, systems, maintenance. And then our acquisition of a whole, I say whole, like the remaining inventory and balance of the Lakota Canyon master plan community and our acquisition, an outright acquisition of that golf club and restaurant and hundreds of acres of additional real estate development land allowed us to be moving towards land developers and, and housing stock developers and builders. One door closes, another door opens. 2020 
was weird and I don't want to hope I hope that we don't have to live that type of experience again but but if we do then we know that we've been tested and we can respond and be nimble and I guess the last comment I would say is that you know 2020 was very frustrating but we tried our best to keep a positive spirit and a positive um, perspective and trying to find the brightness in any particular situation or problem. And to be clear, we did experience a great amount of um, illness and quarantining that clearly impacts the morale and the spirit and the esprit de corps of the, of the organization, but continue to kind of hang on one another and, and keep the teams together and continue talking right continue talking and communicating such that we're proud of being able to get through to the other side and clearly we're not through it but you can now start to see a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel with vaccinations and and some of the just tough measures we've been able to endure A lot of listeners probably aren't familiar with Newcastle. It's uh, west of Glenwood Springs in kind of center of Colorado. And it, it hasn't, I wouldn't say it's, it's a resort town. It's definitely not a resort town. It's probably more of a retirement community in some respects. And it's a growing community and there's oil and gas uh, in the area. Um, so there's some other economies propelling it. And you were able to acquire that out of bankruptcy and now see it as an opportunity. Why do you think that's an opportunity uh, long-term? Well, I think it's a wonderful opportunity and not just from a dollars and cents, but just if you're in the mindset of helping to grow communities and giving folks an opportunity to grow their families and their quality of life, Newcastle is target dead zero for you. And I say that on a couple of metrics and facts. Number one, we both know that Colorado before the pandemic was still one of the number one net importers of new, of new folks. And so population growth was already on a, an impressive upward trend. And, and the, the, um, all the predictions continue to be and, and were back then for continued growth and like top five states in the union for net population growth. So there's a lot of good reason. We both know it's easy to see, great place to be, great place to raise a family, great opportunities and great recreation, great quality of life. In the Western Slope, you can say, you can take all of those comments and double down on them. The Western Slope is just yes times two to all of that. And so, you look at the Western Slope and you look at the corridor of the I-70 corridor and you think about these valleys like our own valley, there's only so much land. And this is a good thing if you think about the character and the virtue of small town living. There's only so much land that can be or should be developed. Then you put a little bit of uh, fuel into that um, combustion engine there, you, you fire it up, which drives the rest of the country and parts of the globe to understand that 
being out in small mountain towns and that quality of life can be achieved now remotely and just from a de-stress perspective, just want to get away from the urban environment and live here. So population growth continues to explode. Land and the limitations of developable land in the valley and through the I-70 corridor hasn't changed and land use regulations are all still in place and water and water policy and water debate and the tug and pull for water between the Western Slope and the Front Range, we will not see massive sprawl that you would typically describe and define in perhaps a suburban market around an urban center. But what we will see is where it's been designated for growth, where residential growth has been designated, that that is where it will happen. And, and, and Newcastle is a, it, you, said, you said some good things, you know, you recognize it's, it has some other industries that it can look to, but it's also a bedroom community for the Valley, in addition to being a bit of a, you know, somewhat of a retirement or semi-retirement location. All of that means and stacks up to a lot of growth a lot of population growth. It's always, it's grown over 50% over the last 12 years. It's now a population of over 5,000 people. It's continuing to grow and there's capacity. There's capacity in the form of land and infrastructure that's already been accounted for and installed and now available at Lakota Canyon, which is a wonderful recreation oriented community organized around a, a golf course, public golf course, and equally important at miles and miles of professionally installed mountain bike trails in the BLM, which the BLM is right there on the town limit and frankly abuts all of Lakota. And thus, there's just a, a tremendous amount of hiking and biking and golfing and recreation that's available. And then the access to infrastructure like airports and other means of travel, all right there between Vail and Eagle and Aspen and Grand Junction. And I would say this, it's becomes the next best affordable location as well. No surprise and no there's no hiding the fact that real estate has become extraordinarily expensive and it has been for a while, but now over the last 12 months, we see that escalate even further. Who knows if it leads to a, you know, a, a bubble burst, but I think strategically and structurally, we're going to continue to see population growth. And that means you're looking to raise a family and you're trying to find a residence or some home that you can afford and call your own, it's hard to find something, say, below $500,000 anywhere in this valley. And so it becomes the, that best place for that. And it's, as you said earlier, it's not completely dependent upon the ski and tourism-based business. So... It can, it can afford a little bit of the, the movements in the economy. And it, right, we, if we, what we have in inventory is upwards of 300 residential units that we can develop and deliver. And our goal is to 
to do that in a way that it, it's it's attainable and accessible to a good segment of the existing market and a good segment of those that are yet to come, you know, to this region. So it's, you're right, it's not a, you know, get rich quick type of play. And that's not even what we've ever looked for. We, we are envisioning a, a campaign, a longer campaign of bringing on neighborhoods that have homes that are accessible and affordable. And they give a lot of folks the opportunity to kind of settle in and, and you know, improve the quality of their life and raise their children and recreate and enjoy all that is already available in the greater I-70 corridor there. There's just so much access to recreation and, and you know, fun. So we're excited about it. You know, there's been recent news developments in Snowmass proper about the acquisition of the Westin property up there, which is adjacent to Snowmass Mall, which your company owns and operates. Tell us a little bit what's going on there and uh, what you see happening in Snowmass in the next couple of years. Yeah, that is a great data point and another example of the further, you know, continued progression and 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 kind of the reimagination of Snowmass Village and, and obviously already a great resort, but it's going to super great. You have new ownership in the form of the Suki family together with their uh, co-general partners, um, High Street out of Atlanta, and they have an investment partner behind them, Akron. And what they have obviously acquired is, the, as you said, the Westin and the Wildwood and the Conference Center, which previously was owned by Starwood Capital. They've owned it since 2011. They bought it originally from the Burwell family back then. They bought it and put some investment, some upgrades into the, the complex. And that's similar game plan for the Sukis and their partners of acquisition and, and some further improvements into the complex. And they recognize that the mall is somewhat their main street, right? It's their front door in many ways. It's it's kind of the life and the activity of uh, their visitors and guests in those in the hotels that they've acquired. So that's a good conversation. One thing that's really a particular note is the Suki family has been here. You know, that's Sharif and uh, his sons, Chris and, and Kareem. They have a, a long view and have been here for years and years. Sharif started the Mezzaluda back in the mid 80s, the Mezzaluda restaurant, which is obviously still in operation today. That's where, how far back the Sharif goes in terms of being a business person you know, in the community. And they know and understand, as we said a few minutes ago, we talked about you know the Snowmass Base Village and Ski Company and East West Partners and, and the town itself and kind of having the confidence that someone understands the dynamics of these small towns and can recognize the words community equally as the word resort. And that's what the Sukis bring to the equation. So I, I, I see great things and, and a lot of continued evolution and progress up there. I, I don't notice I didn't use the word revolution. I don't I don't envision some of these massive scrape and replace movements and actions that seemed to be all the vogue back in the day and clearly 
I was part of that. You know, I was on some of the teams that that um, that led that. And so I'm not trying to wash my hand of anything, but I'm just trying to illustrate that I think that the town and the and our tourism and our guests and our visitors probably can only absorb so much. And obviously, with the movements of the economy, ups and downs, one might be better served to be more evolutionary if there's some things that you can improve and um, reposition. That's better than, you know, scrape and replace. It's, it's just a probably a more mindful approach, especially if you think about climate change and you think about the, the amount of um, waste and the amount of recycle and the, and the lack of recycle and the lack of repurposing that, you know, we as a community uh, still have in front of us. So what they're doing there, I, I, we're happy. We're thinking they're gonna be great neighbors and there's gonna be chances for us to, you know, probably cooperate together as we move forward with our business plans, which are characterized as incremental and and rational and evolutionary and in keeping with the community plan, the community master plan has crafted for the town of Snowmass Village. So exciting, right? Very exciting. If you had to put your crystal ball at, to work here, you know, commercial real estate is a big part of your business. And obviously that has been more challenged than residential real estate in terms of finding tenants and a lot of businesses, you know, locally in these mountain towns struggling because of the COVID limitations on certainly restaurant occupancy and re retail and such. And how does that look today? And, and where do you see commercial real estate in these mountain towns going? I'm reminded again of the word flexibility and nimbleness that we talked about a few moments ago. It applies here as well in the real estate arena, if you think about it, plenty of different, you know, quote unquote, food groups within real estate. There's so many different classes of real estate. And as one class might come into vogue, the other, some others fall off the table and they, they fall out of favor for a while. But one thing that I think we can rely upon, especially if we look back through history, is that all things tend to turn back around and there's this reversion back to the mean. And so as as a sector of real estate suffers, there might be another sector that's improving and then they moderate and they come back around. It, so I see, for example, the purchase of the of the Weston and the Wildwood is a fine example. You could argue that hospitality as a sector within real estate is not doing well right now. And so there'd be a lot of uh, stress and a lot of vacancy and a lot of questions being asked and a lot of you know struggle but that might be the right time to acquire so maybe that's what happened there and so in, in the world of residential yes we've had a we've had a very strong surge super strong surge and it seems to be continuing again based on those comments we talked about earlier in terms of population migration however Commercial as, an, as a sector, we've turned and become more agile. We created, um, you know, kind of we work like shared uh, office model spaces, which happens to be a very popular officing model for 
a lot of folks coming to this area. And I'm not talking about the shared space where there's 20 or 30 people in a bullpen of, um, you know, cubicles, but the, the notion of having some sequestered private offices, you know, gathered in a cool location that's immediately accessible to recreation is a way to, um, to reposition yourself. And so we've had some success with that. And then, you know, obviously I would, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, we talked about teaming before. We talked about kind of building relationships and working with folks that you, know, you enjoy and you, you develop, you know, good, deep trust and faith in. Those words might sound corny to some, but that's also some good coaching for how a landlord should try to act and behave with a collection of businesses that, um, you know, take up tendency in your, in your spaces. So we, we try to be good, quote unquote, partners. We try to be good supporting cast members to the actual business and enterprise of the tenants that uh, you know we have the pleasure to do work with. And so by helping them be more successful and be it a, a market plan or be it some space and opportunity uh, you know, on social media or be it just some, you know, storefront improvements from time to time, or a little bit of some accoutrements out there on the front of the restaurant area, it, you name it. But just those are many examples of trying to be mindful as a, as a good partner. That helps in the long run prevent the, the big, you know, drops and the big fallouts you kind of you take the uh, the adage that look they're part of the team and we're going to make sure everyone on the team makes it through. We're going to stay together, and so that has helped us. I think in the longer run, as I said, as failures arise and weakness presents itself in a particular sector, that that also translates into opportunity. And if you believe still in that kind of that Western opportunity, you know, the opportunities and the entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of our Western towns out here were built upon, that still translates in real estate generally. And people seek opportunity and they're willing to take some risk. They, they have good business plans and they are willing to take the long view and not try to be a get rich quick type of operation. You want to take the long view, you can apply to any particular sector in real estate and you take the long view and I think you'll be fine. Will you make dot-com type of crazy lifts? No, but the dot-com batting average is so weak. You know, how many failures have to occur for one dot-com to actually have the, the rocket explosion and the takeoff? So it's, I'm comfortable and I think a lot of folks are comfortable in the real estate side. It's, it's more tangible and it's actually more um, kind of community oriented, I believe. And so that's my view of how the ebbs and flows of the real estate and the industry itself pertain to us here locally. No, that's a really good view of, of what's happening. And I loved hearing your perspective on all this. I'd like to finish up the interview with a few quick fire, just lighter topics you know what's what right now is your favorite recreational pursuit skiing for sure and i used to be a big telly guy until i had both my knees replaced last year maybe not so good at it but you know being a south texas boy i got after it pretty quick and blew them up so i'm 
back on the Alpines. And so that's just a great experience again, no pain. If you've got some favorite clients in town, um, you know, business partners, or where do you like to entertain them? Oh, we don't go to the big table, white tablecloth stuff. I, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm just a, just a bumpkin from South Texas. So I enjoy the good old working man, you know, breweries and I enjoy the, 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 the common folk. I enjoy just absolutely some access to like Slow Grooving and Zane's Tavern and me, Chola. I'm just an average guy. And I, I like, those are just wonderful, comfortable spots that you just, it's like an old, you know, kind of an old blue jean jacket, man. It's just, it's, it's home and it's comfortable. If you have to, you know, a lot of, we love Aspen, everyone, you know, we all enjoy being in the mountains, but we also like to get out and travel when COVID allows us to. Uh, where do you like to go with your family if you're going to go on a vacation? Uh, we, I got three girls and uh, they are all teenagers. Actually, my oldest is now 20. So we de definitely have a beach in mind. So if it's got a beach on the front, you know, in the first sentence there, you're, we're going to have a successful time. We've uh, we've made some travel down to you know to, to Mexico a bit, and then also Hawaii. Um, but that's it's been a, it's been a while, obviously, with the, with the way COVID has played out, and so we're we're relishing the opportunity to get back to a beach soon. Is there a local nonprofit or charitable cause you particularly get behind? Man, that's a great one. We have so many. Uh, you know, obviously, our, our Snowmass Chapel is we, we really are close and bonded to. You know, I was, I spent years and years with the Aspen Historical Society, had uh, a great run and tenure there. And, uh, you know, the Shining Stars is something that we also kind of feel close to. I think we've talked about it a lot. 2020 required a lot of pivoting, a lot of flexibility. And 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 sounds like you navigated it very well, all things considered. What was your proudest accomplishment? My proudest accomplishment was was very personal. It's just being able to demonstrate and and try and being better as a husband and as a father, which doesn't necessarily sound like the business side of things, but I, I trust that you're a, you're a businessman, you're a father, so I know it resonates. You know, in those difficult times and high stress, you would hope that you could keep your cool <laughs> and, and model kind of, kind of the good decision-making and, and, and empathy. And, and sometimes just being available to make a, you know, a, a breakfast sandwich for your daughters is, is all the world for you. Right. And, and, and being able to connect and have a great conversation with your bride is all the world for you. And so, those are the things that I'm actually most proud of. I think I had more of those events and, and, and occurrences that I could ever remember before COVID. So I think that's most proud there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a follow, leave a short review on Apple or share it with a friend. For feedback, suggestions, or business inquiries, please email christian at seekyourmoment.com.